Welcome back to another episode of the Leadership Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Leadership and Engagement. I'm Joseph Perez, Graduate Student Leadership Coordinator, and I hope all of you are doing well. Please don't forget to wear a mask, because it's getting cold out here and COVID's starting to spread again, so please put on your mask. Today, we're going to be talking about communication. I'm pretty sure most of you are familiar with the basics of communication, but it really is a complex topic. Words are not enough, as your delivery is just as important as the words you want to use. Communication is not just limited to words as your body language and actions can also be interpreted as a form of communication as well. To that end, we have brought on Dr. Keith Stradler of the School of Communication and Media to the podcast today to talk about communication and how us leaders can develop this skill. Stay tuned after the the record scratch to see what he has to say. There's Stradler, right? Stradler, how are you, sir? I'm fantastic. Good to have you here. I mean, I'm sorry I've been following up with the emails for the past couple of weeks trying to get this interview locked down. I'm sure you're really busy. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because on the one hand, like life seemed to have slowed down a lot during COVID because so many things kind of came to a grinding halt. And then on the other hand, everything sped up because there's so many, you know, it's created new workflows, obviously. Um, and, and that's, there's just more things that you have to think about. And um, so we, we find ourselves kind of working kind of around the clock. Um, but, you know, the good news is we seem to be finding a way to get things done. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it's like what you mentioned earlier in terms of like MacGyver and jerry-rigging, like we just got to find a way to do it, whatever it takes. Absolutely. There's no such thing as no. No such thing as can't, right? Like, yes. um, and I think that's just like, I, I tend to believe that's the right ethos to have in general that, you know, there is a way, there's, there's a way to get almost anything done. You just have to creatively approach the problem. Mm-hmm. And, if you, and if there's no solution, create a solution, right? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> so um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what your office provides on campus? I, I you know it's for newer listeners. Sure. So uh, I'm the director of the School of Communication and Media. And so I am, I oversee uh, the school, which currently has around 1200 students, uh, 1250 students, I believe, and growing. Um, this is now my fourth year here at Montclair. And it's been, it seems like it's gone really, and some, some cases I feel like I've been here forever. And in some cases I feel like I just got here, um, <laughs> which, so it's a very odd kind of, and especially now, cause you know, in, in COVID time is a flat circle. So nothing really makes a lot of sense from a, from a time perspective. So um, uh, we have, uh, you know, majors in everything from film and television to public relations, to sports media, to journalism, to common media. I I think I'm probably forgetting something. We have a graduate program. Um, We oversee co-curricular areas like our radio station, WMSC, the Center for Cooperative Media, which does amazing work in in building uh, collaborative journalism models uh, globally. Um, We uh, we're home to the Montclairian newspaper, News Lab, uh, the Red Hawk Sports Network. So it's everything from this incredibly broad set of, uh, of, of majors and courses in the kind of broadest uh, landscape of communication and media, um, all these co-curricular things, incredible partners, industry partnerships, uh, internship opportunities, and so forth. So it's a really dynamic place. Um, and, you know, I guess my job in our office is to be the administrative leads of, of that and help our faculty and students kind of uh, be able to do their best work. Nice, thank you. I mean, it sounds like you have your hands in a lot of different areas in terms of collaboration. So um, kind of leads me to my next question. You know, 
you how do you communicate with these different offices, these different departments in an administrative capacity? So it's interesting because, you know, often uh, schools of communication, while that is kind of what we supposedly do really well, sometimes we do a really bad job at it. And I think a lot of offices realize like you, they don't effectively communicate both internally and externally. And so so we have a, a look. We have a few ways in which we communicate internally, and there's a you know kind of a relatively small team, uh, uh, administrative staff that oversees the school, you know, a group of five of us that are just kind of administrative that are that work, and and we communicate. I mean, like everyone does, we communicate daily via email. We'll have uh, weekly meetings. Um, we also have kind of a, a leadership team within the school of, of all the area heads. We do, we meet every other week as kind of an administrative unit to make sure that we're all kind of on the same page, sharing ideas and so forth. Um, we have, I believe, monthly school meetings for all faculty and staff in the school. So we can, again, kind of have what I, used to be in person, but but kind of all be on the same page and, and share ideas at that point. Um, we also then, uh, I mean, there's a lot of email distribution. We now this year have put together kind of a comms team so we can effectively make sure that we are messaging uh, to our external publics the right way. So our webpage, our social channels and so forth. So we have a team that meets every week that includes some students, faculty and staff that generate story ideas, decide whether they're going to turn into web stories, whether they're going to be social media uh, stories and so forth. And then we have, uh, you know, regular communication with our board of advisors, which is generally, generally email, but then we'll have quarterly meetings with those folks as well. And so there's a bunch of different communication streams. We like to have, again, these regular meetings with uh, kind of these leadership teams and the entire school team. Um, and, and we'll do a, a wide range of, you know, of, of email kind of communication as well. And that's the same with, with our students. Um, we rely a lot on social to get information out to, to our, to our various publics. And so we try to get better at that. We actually have a, a student run PR agency um, as part of, part of the school, which is something that we started a few years ago and it's called Hawk communication. And it's a great kind of learning lab for students who want to go into PR advertising in those different areas. And, uh, and they this year have taken over kind of oversight of the social media channels for the school. And it's a really, really good kind of, you know, real world learning opportunity for our students. And it also to be more pragmatic, it allows us to do this without having to hire folks because we don't have the bandwidth or the budget to kind of have kind of a full-time communications manager. And so it, it kind of, it, it serves a couple of different purposes. So we have students that do a lot around here in general. Yeah. I mean, like I work in the leadership department in the center for leadership and engagement. So they kind of like threw me in there. I have no higher ed experience. This is my first real though a case of higher ed experience so it's learning uh, for me it was more about learning how to communicate in an office manner in an office role because i came i come from retail so i'm yeah. used to just running around back and forth communicating formally informally with individuals and now that i'm in an office setting you know it's more or less constant formalities and i help oversee the leadership workshops and leadership initiatives and a lot of it has to do with you know communication how do we communicate with individuals how do we get our point across? How can we interpret, misinterpret messages, right? Yeah. So uh, are, there, like, are there any difficulties you've experienced in communicating with your team or with other departments? Well, I mean, I, I look, anyone who works in higher ed in particular, but I think this is true for every organization, is the most important part in leadership communication is listening. Um, and I think, you know, particularly when I came in, I was the new guy that came in as 
and I, I don't use this word very often, but kind of as the boss, right? As the, as the new leader of the school. And, and boss is a weird term in higher ed because it is shared governance and there aren't really any bosses. We all kind of have, have a role in governance and leadership. So my job, even though I might have a title, I, in many cases, I don't really have that authority to make things happen. I need collective activism for things to get done. We all have to buy into a basic, you know, to, the, to an idea for things to happen around here. No one can really singularly make things happen. And even if you, you can do that, it's never a good idea. I think as a leader, it's never a good idea to use all of the power and authority that you have. That's the worst way to lead, is to, to lead by kind of, I, I have the power to do this, therefore I will. It's a much better way to lead by helping people to buy into a, a cohesive collective vision and having us all want to move towards that finish line. So, you know, generally speaking, there's a lot of listening. Um, I've also realized quite a bit from, from a leadership perspective is that I have to be careful in what I say publicly. And, and I don't mean that in a cautious way. I mean, I'm, you could probably tell I'm pretty open and very conversational. And I, I think, a good leader is, you know, communicates quite often and doesn't take themselves too seriously and hopefully uses a sense of humor. But sometimes, you know, you might say something kind of flippantly like, oh, it'd be great if we had a major in this. Well, people all of a sudden think like, oh, well, Keith now thinks we need a major in this. This is going to be an initiative for the school. And you realize like, no, I was just, I was just kind of thinking out loud. Like I was just, I wasn't, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't really, I was just kind of talking. Right. Yeah. And you have to realize that in some regards, Things can easily get misinterpreted if you're not really clear in no, you know, what what your real thoughts and interests are. And so I think that's for me one thing I learned is is yeah, you can be fun and you can you know you can use a sense of humor, but you do have to be intentional in the kind of messages you send out to to folks because um, and you have to then listen to the feedback loop. You know, you have to kind of people will then respond, and you cannot disregard kind of things that you think are, well, that's not, that's not relevant. That's not important. You really do need to listen. Um, and so um, I schedule as, you know, beyond these kind of individual meetings, I, I do have a very, well, the, no one has an open door policy at this point. Cause no one can go like open office hours. <laughs> yeah. I've got an open mask policy, but, but, but I mean, but everyone knows they can come talk to me about things that are bothering them because, um, and I will reach out to, to faculty and staff individually and say, I look, I know this is something that, that you have an issue with. I'd like to talk to you about it. So, um, so I do a lot of listening. Um, I, I try to be, I try to be open and transparent in my communication. So, um, I don't think people are ever surprised by anything I say. Um, I let people ask any questions they want and I give them a very honest answer. Um, and, uh, and I try as much as possible to, uh, to kind of set it, to, to do the interventions necessary to make sure we, we avoid kind of conflict and disputes. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit it right on the head, listening. I mean, I tell that to my undergrads that I supervise, like it's all about listening. And I'm, I'm a conversationalist just like you. So I, I love talking. You, know, you can ask anyone that's in the office with me. Like sometimes I can't stop talking. Yeah. But so sometimes you might overshare a little too much or, sure. <laughs> or not enough. And I'm the type of person that whenever, whenever I stay quiet for a good amount of time, people think something's wrong with me because they're so used to hearing me talk. But, you know, listening is a big thing. Uh, I encourage all of my undergrads to listen. Uh, on other episodes of the podcast, I've always talked about listening. I usually try to stay quiet whenever someone's talking, but you know, it's it's a big factor, I would say, right? Now, 
what's what are the biggest factors in communication as a leader? I know you mentioned listening just now, but are there any other factors in terms of uh, communication as a leader or developing it? Um, look, I think, I mean, I, you know, you're right. Listening is, is probably the number one most important thing. Um, I think you need to, like we kind of mentioned, you need to be intentional in what you're saying. I think you need to, you should come into meetings with agendas and with with goals of things you messages you want to get across, right? Mm -hmm. So if you know, like I, I need to make sure that people are aware of these four or five things. You need to make sure that you're doing that. Um, so I would think that's, like I said, honesty, honesty and integrity is really important to me. And so again, I, I think, I think we've all had experiences in our lives where we're like, you know, I don't think the boss, I, we don't, in the lack of better, this word gets used. We don't trust him or trust her. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I hope, and I'm sure people, you know, look, it's tough. Like no matter what, if you're a leader of any organization, there are going to be people that do not like you at some point or, or do not like what you're doing. Do not like you a little bit. That's a little personal, but um, do not like what you're doing. And you have to kind of learn to be able to just take that. That's, you know, you, you know, you, you can't, it's really difficult to have a thick skin if you want to be a leader or a manager um, or a thin skin, you really have to, to, to learn how to be able to take, to take the criticism and that's just going to be life. And so you have to get used to that. But I think if you communicate with a, a sense of integrity and honesty and openness and transparency, understanding that, and you can even say to people like, look, there are things that are not yet public and I can't disclose. And you can be honest with them about that. Um, and you can be honest, like, look, I understand your perspective. I'm going to tell you that's not going to happen. We're not going to get this resource. And here's why. And, and we just have to, we're going to have to work past that. And that's, you know, so instead of me kind of hoping and promising and cajoling, I'm going to be very honest, that's not going to happen. So we're going to have to get around, you know, we're going to have to accept that reality and work towards, you know, a next goal. So I, I think, I think you have to be honest, transparent. And I think, and this is tough, particularly in higher ed when, you know, you have a, a world where we have tenured positions and, and a lot of job security you have to learn how to not, and this is, I mean, I say this, don't lose your cool. And as we like to say, do not take the bait. Um, yes. and, and it, <laughs> I mean, you will get tested as a leader, particularly in higher ed. And there will, you know, and I think you, you kind of understand what I'm referring to people. Well, it's kind of like, like I'm a big sports fan oh, and yeah. right? I'm, a football, so, I'm a football guy. <laughs> you're a football guy. All right, so I, I'm a big basketball fan, but, but you know, if you're, you can goad people into fouling you back, right? You can see guys that don't, if you're a big guy, right? If you're a big guy and you play basketball, don't take the bait of the point guard kind of putting his hand in your back for, you know, kind of, kind of just waiting for him to foul you. Like don't take the bait. And that's true. Like in higher ed, people will test you and they will kind of throw out comments that you think are ridiculous or things, you know, that you think are unfair. Answer them as honestly and with as much respect as you can possibly do, right? And, and when, you, when you start to, to lower yourself and communicate in a way that's beneath the dignity of your position, not of yourself, because what you, anyone who's in a leadership role, you're not, it's not about you, it's about the position you occupy. And we're all kind of stewards of our roles and of the organization we represent. And I mean, I think that's something I wish were more clear with everyone that worked for an organization. The organizations, while the people make the organization run, it's really not about us. It's about all the people we serve and it's about the, the, the responsibility 
and the privilege we have of kind of being shepherds of this place, right? Universities are special places. And we have this incredible like opportunity to be the next generation of people that are, are you know, kind of moving this place forward and helping students who come and kind of put their faith and time and money and effort into it. So um, if we kind of depersonalize that, um, to me, that's kind of show respect for the position that you occupy. Um, and I know I'm not like, like, I don't think I'll put pants on again until, the, until we have a vaccine, but, but generally <laughs> speaking, you know, you dress like I, I, I tend to take a lot of pride, probably too much pride and like, oh, I try to dress nice and snazzy. And, and, and in, in many cases, it's not because you want the compliments. Of course, I love the compliments, but you want to show respect for the position, right? And so when you, when you are in meetings and you dress a certain way, you're showing a certain respect for the position. Um, and I think the last thing I would say in terms of kind of the, uh, from a leadership perspective, and it's, um, uh, it, it, I actually heard this from a, uh, uh, Kevin Merida, who was uh, the the he was the editor in chief of, of, of the head of the, the undefeated from uh, you know ESPN's undefeated, mm -hmm. and he he spoke at an event, and he was a a, a good friend of a, a colleague of mine, and he said his leadership philosophy was uh, lead from where you are, and I believe that to be true. Um, you don't have to have a particular title, um, you don't have to be the leader, or the boss of it to be a leader. You should lead from where you are, and everyone in, in every role that they have has the opportunity for leadership. You can be a leader amongst your peers. You can, I mean, there's all these different ways in which we can lead. And if we're just going to rely on the person with a certain title to lead, we're not going to get anywhere. So I think it's very important that people look for opportunities, and this is true for students as well. You're going to be in a group, you know, you're going to be doing group work. There's co-curricular activities. You want to start a club. It's really important that people need to lead from where they are, and those are the people that will end up assuming kind of higher leadership roles in in society as we move forward. Absolutely, could I couldn't agree more, Doctor. I mean, man, I mean, not yeah. I know how you mentioned higher ed, but uh, I'm assuming that every that everything you say could be applied to other careers, right? I think, look, I, yes. I mean, every, every, every organization has its particular culture, ethos, and dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm, I've come from an interesting world, uh, you know, family that my mom was a, a higher ed administrator. She was a college dean. And my dad was a, uh, a senior uh, business executive. I mean, was, you know, ran, a, ran a, a large company. And they both obviously had leadership roles. Um, and they both had to kind of acknowledge the differences in the the way in which they could lead so my mom would sometimes come home and she'd be like oh and you know and, and the, the the higher ed world can be a world she'd be like oh my faculty are you know they're they're angry about this and they're yelling about this and my dad who came from you know he's he's the boss of a big company he's like well you should tell them to do this and you should tell them to do that you're the boss and my mom's like you can't do that in higher ed you can't just start pointing and be like you're i'm the boss you're and, and so I think you have to be cognizant and respectful to the cultures of your organization. Uh, my wife's a marketing manager with a large, with SAP, a large, you know, huge, huge software company. Before that, she was with IBM and have a huge, huge, obviously software consulting company. Um, and so, you know, in every organization, look, I, yes, you can take some of the same lessons. Leadership can be, uh, can, you can look at it, whether it's military, whether it's higher ed, you know, whether it's, it's, it's corporate, um, there are, you know, whether it's athletics, there are some things that are, you know, universal to to all of those different organizations. Um, but you, two things. One is you do need to to really think about what 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 is specific to the culture and 
the ethos and the machinery and the rules, the bylaws and the rules of your particular organization. I mean, we are, you know, highly unionized uh, campus. You have to be cognizant and aware of what are, what's the contract. And so I know as a, man, as a manager and a non-union employee, obviously, then, that I have to be aware and cognizant, respectful of the, the negotiated agreements, right? And so everyone needs to think that. The other thing is, and I think one of the myths that people need to kind of get over in leadership is that the boss has all this power, like, well, you, I'm just going to fire this person. I'm like, that's not, people often, people, sometimes people in higher ed are like, oh, in the real world, that would, person would have been fired tomorrow. I'm like, no, nah, that's not how it works. Like th those are people who have never actually worked in the real world. You, that's not, people don't just, bosses don't walk into their company and be like, you, you're fired. Like, that doesn't happen. I mean, it can, but it's, it's highly dysfunctional. People get put on performance plans and they are given opportunities to improve. And, and you know, in some ways, there's more similarities between higher ed and, and the outside world than people believe is that there, there is not, there's not this autocratic kind of way in which most large companies work in which the boss just kind of comes in and says, this is how it's going to be. We're all going to, and it's, it's generally speaking, there are processes and systems and, and you have to work with your employees and you have to kind of collectively, collectively kind of figure out a pathway to move the organization forward. So, um, Generally speaking, yes, there are there are some universalities, but there are also some 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 specific things to each individual organization. Thank, thank you, Doctor. So, I, I want to get into look the social media aspect of communication. Right, we use social media way more than we used to now, especially yeah. after we've been holed up due to COVID this this whole time. And now with the elections coming up, you know, people are using social media to spread out a lot of misinformation, genuine sure. information. Uh, can you comment on that a little bit? Well, I mean, look, I, social media is not a trend. It's not a fad and it's not going away. In fact, you, social media is just media at this point, right? It's, it, it, we almost do it a disservice by, by uh, distinguishing it from, uh, from other forms of media. It is, you know, I would argue the most powerful uh, form of communication in our, in our, in our, you know, in our, in our skill set right now. It obviously changed the landscape of, of how people communicate um, and how people broadcast because instead of it being one to many, it was back and forth and everyone has a production tool in their pocket. So it, look, I mean, one of the things we teach here is how to effectively craft messages on social and how to figure out how to get your ROI. So if you're an organization, how do you measure the efficacy of what you're doing mm -hmm. and how do you strategize, right? And so using using social more strategically. Now from a, just kind of a personal, you know, if, if I'm talking to students and I'm talking to, to people in terms of how they're using it, I mean, look, I, I do believe that we all should be active on social. I, I think I know some people choose to kind of opt out and that's fine, but I think you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice. I think that is, whether people like it or not, that is a way in which we engage in conversation with the rest of the world. We should also realize that the Twitter world is not the real world, like, yes. like right? <laughs> and, 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 and people speak very differently on social than they would in, in kind of interpersonal face-to-face -face communication. We understand that the depths of Twitter is literally Dante's seventh layer of hell. Like absolutely. that's- the <laughs> Absolutely. And, <laughs> that's why I, I, I slipped, I, I walked away from Twitter back in 2013. Oh, you, and you, it was the best decision I've made. I, I understand, but, but the problem is you're missing a lot of conversation that's very, yes. you know, so, you know, I, I, look, I'm fairly active on Twitter. Um, I enjoy like getting news that way. I enjoy kind of getting the pulse of what people are thinking that way. I, I, I take it, I mean, you know, companies and organizations drop a ton of information. They communicate with us. Our politicians communicate. Look, this is, 
from a just speaking very kind of uh, kind of plainly, Donald Trump changed the way in which Twitter is used uh, as a communication tool by political leaders. And that's a genie that's hopefully it'll go a little bit back in the bottle, but it's not going all the way back in the bottle, right? This is, this is how our elected officials, these tools, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Twitter, um, you know, Facebook has long been kind of a political tool. I mean, all of these things, I mean, TikTok, we're allowed to still use it. I, um, I mean, these are important tools. The things I would say to people who are using it though, is you should be very intentional in how you're posting. And I think people, you should realize what, who am I on social? You know, are you, are you posting as yourself as a professional? And, and in some regards, you always should be because, you know, whoever might employ you when you graduate from college is going to back channel and look through every social platform that you're engaged with. And they're going to, they're going to see everything you said. So every, and I apologize for the flipping comment, every drunk 2am post is going to get vetted. Everything that is, uh, that is, I mean, look, it goes without saying bigoted, racist, uh, xenophobic, you name it. There is a long shelf life and, and you will find yourself, uh, you will find yourself regretting things that you thought were said in jest. Understand that satire and sarcasm does not play well on social and understand, and this is a very hard thing for people to realize, you're not as funny as you think you are. So people think they're posting things like, oh, that was just a joke. Well, A, it probably wasn't funny. And two, it wasn't funny to those folks, right? There, there are a group of people that did not find it amusing at all. So I think people need to be very cognizant of the breadth of what they say, the, the, the ability for anything that you post to be distributed to. Just assume if you put it, if you put it in writing, you are putting it in writing to the entire world. Um, for it to be not just misinterpreted, but to be interpreted in a way that you did not realize. Like you, you're saying something that is offensive. Um, so I think people need to understand that, that when they communicate using these different social platforms, they are, they're showing a part of who they are as people. And you need to kind of be really kind of cognizant of what kind of person do you want the world to see. And so when I look, I, I have a particular kind of personality on Twitter and it's, you know, tries to be funny. I make a lot of fun of what I'm watching in a basketball game. I make, you know, I might at 3 a.m. I might post like I still can't sleep because James Harden missed that layup. Like that's that's who I am. Like that's how I, you know, and I, and I post about shows that I'm doing. And I, you know, I, I, there's never a thing that I've posted on social that I'd be embarrassed for my mom to see or for anyone to see. And I think that's a, a pretty good litmus. I, I don't feel that I need to be uh, involved in kind of incendiary social commentary. I also think that just because you can say something doesn't mean you need to. You should be developing a voice, but you know, we don't need to put, we don't need to, you don't need to voice your opinion on everything, right? And, and, and sometimes we often don't recognize our lack of expertise. And I think this is something that's been exposed throughout the virus. There are doctors who really know, like there are scientists who really know how this thing works or are learning, actually, that's not even fair. They're learning how this thing works. Yet all of us seem to have become a kind of armchair epidemiologist. I don't think that's a good thing. Like, I don't think it's a good thing that we are individually kind of determining what's safe and what's not. I, so I think sometimes when we kind of, we realize just because we have a tool and we're like, oh, I can post this on Twitter. Well, you know, maybe we don't know. Maybe you don't know how COVID is spread. And maybe you don't like, maybe sometimes it's, 
it's best left for the experts. And that's, that's one of the challenges of, of, of social. It's, it's allowed everyone to proclaim themselves an expert. And that's, you know, they've, they've said, I think several people have said, have written about the death of expertise. That's one of the challenges that we, we kind of see. Nice. I mean, social is pretty much an extension of ourselves at this point. Yeah. Would you say? Like, you, you are, you are what you, you are, what your Facebook says, says, says you are, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like I, I, I'm a fan, like I, I'm a sarcastic person sometimes. Like most some some of the things I say on social are satire, or not really meant to be taken seriously. But there are some people that do take it seriously. Yeah, and, you know they they message me privately and I tell them, listen, if you know me, you'll know that I am a sarcastic individual. Like it's satire; it's not meant to be taken seriously. And then you do have to balance that with you know the serious posts, yeah. the thoughtful posts. Yeah, and I think I just think you have to you know you have to realize that people don't know you when they see what you've read. And, and you know, I think we sometimes look, this is something we're learning a lot now is we don't, we're not even necessarily cognizant of all of our subconscious biases and, and, and it's fair, it's unfair to say prejudices, but, 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 you know, we, we probably all have a lot to learn about um, other folks in general. And I think sometimes when we post things where we probably aren't even, aware sometimes of the insensitivities. Now, I think people, by the way, often take things are, can be too sensitive. And I think sometimes that leads to the, the kind of the, 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 the feigned outrage on social. But, but I do think it's really important to kind of really think about how people might react to what it is that you're, you're, you're saying online. And, and I, you know, look, I'm a, you know, the public shaming, all of the things you, the piling on. I mean, these are conversations I have with my kids. I like, you know, it, it's, there's nothing okay about making fun of someone, even if, if it seems like it's innocuous and it, there's nothing okay about kind of taking a shot at someone on social. It just, you know, it, I mean, maybe some public figures, it's one thing like, yeah, you can take a pot shot. And I'm not just speaking about this president. You can take a pot shot of the president because that's, that's what they signed up for. Yeah, presidents, presidents of all parties, of all, of all histories, presidents sign up to get satirized, right? If you don't want to be satirized, you're, you're in the wrong business. So, yeah. um, so, um, but, but yeah, you know, again, it, it's, I, I do think we need more literacy training about the use of social in general. Yes. Um, just a couple of final things. Um, who do you have uh, winning the NBA finals? Well, now the Rockets are out. I'm, I mean, so I grew up in Houston. For anybody, I grew up in Houston. I, I, my life has been as a diehard Rockets fan. Um, and, and I, you know, I've, sports media is my background for those of you. So I, I, I've been close to sports my whole life. I have a, a fantastic sports show on For the Fans Network you should watch uh, called Sportish, uh, Wednesdays at midnight or on demand at For the Fans Next, fdfnext.com. Uh, just get a little, little, little hype in there. Uh, but um, but my kids now, my kids are 10 and 13, huge sports fans, and they kind of took on the Rockets because, you know, I was a Rockets fan. So we used to go back and visit family in Houston. And so they're, my, my 13 year old's an obsessive Rockets fan. So I've really kind of re, re-engaged with the Rockets and they have been agonizing the past few years, agonizing. I mean, just getting so close. And now I think they're going to be in a rebuilding kind of world. I, after watching what the Lakers did to the Rockets, I am finding, I'm, I mean, the East is a train wreck right now. Um, and, and, and Jimmy Butler is fantastic, but that, that I don't care. Like I don't, it's not gonna, I, I don't care who comes out of the Celtics, the heat, it doesn't matter. Um, and I, I originally, if you'd said before the, the playoff started, I was all in on the Clippers. I thought they were, a, you know, kind of a, a full team. Um, I think Dallas, which is a very fun team to watch, exposed some of their, their weaknesses. Um, I, 
I just can't, I don't see how you get around the athleticism and the size of the Lakers who apparently I thought they were a little, were kind of getting worn out and a little old. LeBron seems to get young when he wants to. Um, and so I, I, I just don't know how you beat, I don't know how you beat the Lakers over a seven game series. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I, I was actually, uh, I was rooting for the Clippers to make it to the sure. finals. And then after they had trouble with Dallas and then they had trouble with Denver and it's like, wow, like maybe, maybe we were all wrong. <laughs> I figured, yeah, I figured like, I mean, Doc Rivers is just plays, he coaches enough of like a dirty old man basketball. Like I was, was like, they're, I was like, they're just, they, they had a little, they one of the few teams that had a little bit of that old, like eighties, nineties toughness in them. Um, so I just, I've, I, I kind of liked, I thought that was the kind of team that could, you know, because at some point during the playoffs, it does slow down a little bit and it stops being, uh, you know, uh, video game uh, uh, basketball. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. It stops being 2K, right? And so, um, but maybe not. Maybe the NBA right now is really just, you know, shoot it from half court and let's go. Yeah. I mean, and it, it kind of helps that almost all of these playoff games has gone, have gone to games five, six, or seven. Yeah. That's so great. Right. Look, by the way, it's been great. The, the bubble has been compelling in every way, manner, and form. And so I, I, I think... People will remember this experience, uh, I mean, as long as we live. This is, has changed kind of the calculus of, of, of what sports looks like. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought the bubble was a, an ambitious experiment for sure, but after seeing everybody play, it's like, you know what? It's not that bad. It's pretty oh, good. It's great. Oh, it's great. I think the basketball has been better. Look, these guys don't have to travel. Like the, the hardest, they've, they've eliminated the most challenging part of, of, of the NBA grind, which is you got to get on an airplane, a hotel. I mean, it's, it really wears you out. And so these guys go back to the Grand Floridian. They, they you know, golf a little bit. And, and I think once they got over the mental kind of trauma of like, all right, we're in this thing. I, I think once the bat, you know, they, they're able to really bond as a team. Like, and I think, you know, obviously, I think, I think having uh, Black Lives Matter as kind of a, as part of the movement of the, of the bubble has given them a, 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 even a deeper sense of unity, I think. And I think it's almost, you, it is as if they are playing for a, a higher purpose. And, um, and I just feel like all of that has kind of, I don't know, come together to make this a fairly magical form of basketball with the exception of the Rockets and the final four games of the, this past series, which was just a hot mess. <laughs> yeah. So that did not work. So, so, um, I, so who, who, who do you have winning the, the finals? Lakers? Oh, I go Lakers. Yeah, I go Lakers. Lakers. Like, yeah. You're not going to be the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I, I, I'm just going to concede the feat and go with the Lakers. Yeah, they're, <laughs> the Lakers going to win. Yeah. So um, any final thoughts? Any shout-outs that you want to give out? I know you mentioned your podcast earlier. Anything Oh, else? yeah. yeah. Watch, watch and or listen to Sportish. You can listen to it as a podcast on iTunes and everywhere else you get your, your finest podcasts. And watch it on For the Fans Network, uh, available – I don't know, a bunch of cable systems and Zumu and whatever else. Uh, so, uh, but um, I would just say, look, to, to, to students and anyone who's listening, um, look, I, this, this period has been and will continue to be trying and it's going to be a rough run. Um, and we're, we're, you know, they, they said early on, we're like, we're in the second inning. We're probably in the third, fourth inning now. We're probably, you know, fourth. Um, we got a long way to go. There is no magic bullet, right, to make this this automatically better. This is a process, and the job market's going to be challenging for quite some time. But you know, two things is you got you keep move, putting one foot in front of the other. Like that's that's the nature of this beast. Is every day is going to bring a new challenge, and you're just gonna you got to keep focused on 
the prize, which is your future. Um, and secondly, is don't waste this opportunity to learn some of the new tools and skills that the job market and the work world and the world in general is going to change in ways that probably were coming, but we're coming five, 10 years from now. And it's all been expedited. New digital tools. Look, we're doing the show together and I'm in my office and you're sitting somewhere else and it's going to sound fantastic. Right. And, uh, and that's, they're going to be all these different ways in which the, the industries that you aspire to become a part of are going to change. So take this opportunity now and really, you know, learn and soak it all in. I mean, one of the good things about being young is you are not stuck in a predisposed way of thinking. You haven't been doing something the same way for 40 years. So really embrace the opportunity. Try to, you know, get past the fear of the uncertainty and because that's going to be there forever. Like your life, uncertain, if you think it's uncertain now, wait till you got kids and you don't know if, I mean, you worry about everything, right? And, and so, um, if you can try to take a step back from all the challenges and all the, you know, the, the hardships that everyone goes through and everyone's got their, their set of hardships and try to focus on you and on the opportunities in front of you and the importance of seizing this moment to prepare yourself for what, not what you thought was going to be next, but what's actually going to be next. So that's what I would say. And keep your head up. And, you know, there are, there are probably more support systems around you than you realize and make sure you take advantage of all of them. Awesome. Thank you very much, Dr. Stradler. All right. It was a pleasure. Anytime. I would like to thank Dr. Stradler again for coming on to the podcast. It is very much appreciated. If you want to check out his work, the links will be included in the description. What are your thoughts on communication, guys? How can we develop our communication skills off of what's happening in today's society? Let us know using the voice memo included in the description or tag us on our social media. Our Facebook is facebook.com backslash CLE leadership and our Twitter and Instagram is at MSU leadership. Can't wait to hear from you guys. Stay tuned for the next episode. And as always, take care of yourselves and each other.